Thank you, ladies, for leading us in, in worship of our great God. What a surprise the Lord gave us this morning. Can I get an amen from those of you? In the, uh, I can see you're not very pleased with it. I can see that. But, uh, but uh, thank the Lord. He is the creator and sustainer of it is. And everyone, oh, not everyone, but individuals have said to me before that weathermen and preachers have something in common. We can get paid to be wrong. And I was sharing with Richard this morning, I, I trust I'm not wrong, but uh, uh, it's good to have you here with us today. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your gift. You sending your son that he may die for us is a perfect illustration of how much you really love us. Greater love no, hath no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. And God, you demonstrated that even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the magnitude and the magnificence of your love. We rejoice in it. We have our being and our very breath that comes from it. For Jesus, when he was on this earth, he reminded us, for without me, you can do nothing. And so we, again, rejoice. I can think of no better way to begin a new week than to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and sing to your glory, fellowship with believers, and then to hear from you. But the pressure's on me. For in order for us to hear from you, Lord, I've had to hear from you. Doesn't make me any better than anybody else. But you've given me this wonderful opportunity to share this morning the principles of one family under God. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would search my heart and try my thoughts in making sure that there's no wicked way in me and lead me, O oh Lord God, in your paths of righteousness for your namesake. For I realize that without you, I can do nothing. So as we open our, your word, O oh Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would open our ears Open our eyes, our hearts, even to the very depths of our soul, that you would speak to us today. Teach us, Holy Spirit, the principles, the vital principles as we share this morning that there is freedom in surrender. And may your name be glorified. May your name be honored not just here in these four walls, Lord, but through the continuation of the week as we leave here and go about our everyday work. But while we're here, strengthen us by your glory that we may be instruments of your glory. And for that, we will praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. 
I want to read two passages of Scripture before we get too heavily involved in what the Lord has for us this morning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're turning, I want to give a quiz to the husbands. What are the four vital biblical truths for husbands? Yeah, I can see you all. Thank you. Amen. What's the second one? Live with. What's the third? No. What's the last one? Honor. Love, live, know, and honor. Those are four vital truths. And if I can extend that for another 40 minutes, we can say amen and leave. But we're, we can't. I want to pick up at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. And before I read verse 22, I'm just going to give you like 1.35 seconds for all of you to read verse 21. Read it to yourselves. We have to start this off on a good fitting walk. Verse 21 says, submit to one another. In the fear of God. Then verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ so that the wise be to their own husbands in everything. Now turn with me over, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1. Wives... Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their lives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be hidden. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. I was hoping that Gabriel would show up this morning and preach this message. And in my mind, 
I contemplated the fact that maybe God said to him, Gabriel, I want you to go down there. And Gabriel said, I'm not preaching that message. No way. Yeah. Good. We'll let Pastor Doug do it. He's, he's mortal. He'll, he'll soon be here, so we'll let him do it. It's not a popular subject. It's okay, and, and I really enjoy talking and, and sharing and preaching at men. I, I can handle that. But when it, when it comes to discussing the role of the wife, it's a little bit more difficult for me. Though I have been blessed and married for 45 years, and, but yet it's still difficult for me. And because I, I don't want you ladies to think that this sermon is putting you down at all. It's not. I want to build you up. I, I think the world in its evaluation of motherhood and womanhood have lowered it, by the way. Where God has determined to raise it up. And so this morning, that's what I hope will come across to you. There's a, a story that's been told of two escaped prisoners who were on the run through the woods and they heard the tracking dogs barking behind them and they realized that the guards were closing in. The first prisoner scrambled up a tree in the hopes of throwing the dogs off of the scent. The second also climbed a tree, but he was nearby. And as they were in the tree, they listened and the dogs got closer. And pretty soon, the dogs were at the bottom of the first tree. Catching the scent, they began to bark. And the individual in that tree thought to himself, I've got to do something to throw these dogs off. And so he thought quickly and said, I know. I'll just coo, coo, coo. The guards with the dog said, come away from there. There's nothing up there but a bird. Well, pretty soon the dogs caught the scent of the second prisoner, and to the bottom of that tree they went. And again, the prisoner in the second tree wasn't as quick-minded as the prisoner in the first tree, but he knew he had to say something because the dogs were barking at the bottom of the tree, and he thought, well, he did a noise of an animal, so will I. And that prisoner went, moo, moo, moo. When you're confused about what you're supposed to be doing, it's not long that you start making the wrong noise at the wrong place and at the wrong time. Marriages, unfortunately, Christian couples today are making a lot of noise about complaining of their spouses and their marriages and the truth is, is that they've neglected what God has to say and the alignment that God has put us in. 
To say it another way, we're probably mooing when we ought to be cooing. In order for the family to operate under the authority of God, they need to be properly aligned under God. One more verse I want to direct you to is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Here we, we need to understand that God operates according to an established order. And that order is spelled out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, where it says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. You notice that they are singular. It doesn't say men are the head of women. No, it says a man is the head of a woman. Both singular. Paul's not talking about all men are over all women. He's talking about here of being in the family has nothing to do with the outside workforce. Some ladies hold uh, titles of authority in the work field, and they do very well at it. Apostle Paul is not saying resign from it because you shouldn't be over men. That's not what he's saying here. He's talking about the home. The man is over the woman, the head of. As Christ is the head of man. And God is the head of Christ. We're not talking about the realm, if you will, of, of uh, how much you mean to God. Because in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're reminded that men and women are the same under the grace of God. But what we are speaking this morning about is the realm of functionality. How are we supposed to function? Remember I shared last week that illustration of tire alignment. That you recognize your tires are wearing out and your mechanic may say that you need to have an alignment. And you may come back and say, well, why don't I just get a new set of tires? But that isn't going to answer the question. That'll last for a little bit. But unless the vehicle is aligned, you're going to wear those tires out too. And so when we're talking about alignment, we're talking about God first. Christ subjected himself to that. Husband and then wife. But I really think the 
The greater example is Jesus Christ. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that literally Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the triune Godhead while he walked this earth. And yet, in John chapter 4, Jesus Christ said, I have come to do the will of my Father who sent me. When, when you ask people, at least believer people in church, you ask them, why did Jesus come to this earth? And, and rightly say, they, they will say, well, he came to die to provide salvation. That's partly true. But I want to tell you, he dying on the cross is an outward expression of why he really came. Jesus Christ came to do the will of his Father who sent him. And it was the Father's will for him to die upon the cross. Thus, when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying, he said, Father, not my will, but what, everybody? Your will be done. And so Jesus subjected himself, placed himself under the authority of God the Father. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if he did not do that, salvation would not have happened. For he willingly obeyed his Father that he would die for us. And so with that, when we're talking about the biblical alignment of the family, specifically this morning for the wife, it's this, is that Christ is at the head. Jesus Christ is the head. The husband is underneath Christ, and the wife is underneath the husband. And so when we talk about that, But when we understand submission from a biblical perspective, we see that it is a, if you will, a positive force to accomplish a greater good. It's not a negative force, if you will, to subject someone to an inferior status. That's not what God has in store at all. You might remember three weeks ago when we started is that God made man from dirt and breathed into him. But he fashioned the woman. So God is not about limiting or putting you in a lower status. It's all about functionality. How is the family to function? And when we get that out of line, when, when, a, when a husband believes that he is the superior ruler of his wife, when he doesn't understand his proper place as a husband, the family begins to fall apart. All the way down to the children, which we'll get to in January. 
And so what are we talking about? Well, Christ as the head, followed by a wife under her husband. I know we've been turning to a lot of passages, but one more. 1 Timothy chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 2. A husband is his wife's biblical head. Now keep in mind that alignment does not determine value. Men and women are equal, are of equal value to God. Alignment literally defines function. Notice what it says in verse 12 and 14 through 14. And do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Please note that the Apostle Paul, as he presents this principle, it's based on order of the church. But from it, This has nothing to do, as some individuals, as they have taken this passage and twisted it to mean that, oh, that was the cultural thing at that time. Or, that really wasn't God's intention at the beginning of creation. Sin caused this situation. No. Notice that Paul says that God created Adam First, then Eve was formed. It's a line of authority. But in it, I want to add that a wife's alignment under her husband does have limitations. Ladies, pay attention. If the man, if your husband would ask the wife to go out and rob a bank, you ought not to do that. Why? Because you're breaking the law of God which says, thou shalt not steal. Now ladies, poke your husbands. I know some of them are hunting bear. And I believe that some of them are glad they're not here today. But when your husband asks you or demands of you to do something that is contrary to God's word, I'm telling you that he is releasing his authority over you and he's giving it back to God. And you can equivocally stand there and say, according to God's word, no, I will not do that. In fact, if a husband would ever ask his wife 
to do something that is contrary to the word of God. Ladies, I'm giving you permission to give him four pills. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hit him right between the eyes. That should never happen. Guys, those of you that are here this morning, God has you here for a purpose. We should never expect our wives to do anything contrary to the word of God. And if we do, may God help us. There are limitations. But yet apart from that restriction, Scripture says that a wife who honors God by living according to his precepts will even create an opportunity for her husband to be changed by God. How do you get that? Well, that's recorded for us in 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 and 2. But Peter has a way of giving us an example. He gives us a godly example of what surrender is all about. In fact, he highlights the fact when he says that holy women in times past, for in the, man, for in the same manner in former times, Holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham. Even calling him Lord. Godly examples. Of what surrender is all about. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says there that God created or made a helper for Adam. What does it mean to be a helper? It's a very interesting word in the Hebrew. The word literally means one who, if you will, talks about the one who comes alongside. In fact, it speaks of the strength. 21 times in the Old Testament, that word is used. 19 of those times, it's in reference to God. Only twice. This is in reference to a woman. Let me give you an example. In Deuteronomy 33, verse 26, it says, There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your help. In Psalm 33, verse 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our helper and our shield. Psalm 124, verse 8, it says, Our help is in the name of the Lord. But what's interesting is what differentiates that Hebrew word of help in Genesis chapter 2 as compared to the passages I've just quoted for you is that it's highlighted that God created a helper 
suitable to the man. What does that mean? Interestingly enough, it literally means to be completed. And I've said that many times to pre-marriage counseling. When I've told the gentleman that's sitting next to his future bride on my couch. And I refer to the fact that when an individual gets engaged, he's only half a man. But when he gets married, he's finished. And that, that's not really what's suitable for him. Oh, no, I'm, that's... But literally it means, ladies, that as God is our mighty helper in times of need, the wife is that that completes her husband. She's compared to the wonder and glory of God in times of helping. God has put you in a position that no one else can meet. God has blessed you in ways that I speak to you as a husband. That if it wasn't for my wife, I'd have been finished a long time ago. She's my helper. She keeps me aligned. She's given me four pills once in a while. So I just want you to know, ladies, that the, line, the, 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 the section of alignment has nothing to do, is not speaking of your worthlessness. It is totally speaking of function. And unfortunately, husbands have it in their idea that a helper means someone to cook clean Take care of the children and keep them quiet while we're listening to the football game on TV. That's not the wife's function. In fact, you don't even need to be married to do that. You can hire people to do that. Now, that doesn't say that wives don't take, you know, you should take pride in in what you do at the home. In fact, my wife and I, we have a rule in our home. The inside of the home is hers. She can have whatever color. She can put the furniture wherever she wants it. That's fine. The outside of the house is mine. I mow the lawn. (laughs) I plant the flowers. I take care of the outside. Hers is the inside. And it functions very well that way, gentlemen. Will you help me move this couch? You betcha, baby. Where would you like it? Well, try it, try it over here. No, that don't work there. Try it over there. No, I ain't going to work there. But that's okay. Because she is helping me. So what is the wife supposed to do? Well, a wife is to trust in God. Trust in God. 
when the world is so messed up and some some ladies may even hear this and they say pastor i'm 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 afraid to put myself in that position because i'm afraid my husband will take authority over me that's not intended by the word of god and and i can understand that to being a very very difficult thing to think of but at least i want to show you from scripture what the answer to that dilemma is. And the answer first is this. Trust in the Lord. Put your trust in Him. In fact, Peter gave us an example. Sarah and Abraham. Those of you that know that biblical history realize that... uh, Abraham wasn't always a bastion of righteousness. Two times Abraham tried to save his neck when he felt it was on the chopping block by telling a half-truth about his wife, Sarah. And in that, the chastity of Sarah could have been destroyed. But God took down two kings and two kingdoms to protect Sarah. And even in that, the scripture says, even through that experience, the scripture says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. That doesn't mean that Abraham thought himself to have a big head and every time he walked in the room, everybody had to bow down. That's not what that word means. In in the Hebrew, it literally means an endearment. Let me give you the 21st century interpretation of that word. Sarah called Abraham honey. Yes. Or baby. Or maybe even hubba dubba ding ding baby you got everything. (laughs) It's a term of endearment. That's Sarah recognizing that Abraham was to be the head. And she was to be the helper. She trusted God. There's another example in 1 Samuel chapter 25. An individual by the name of Nabal had a wife named Abigail and there was a king named David. And David and his army were in the business of routing out marauding armies in such fact that he came to Nabal's help to protect his farm. And the time came when David needed supplies, and so he sent some of his men back to Nabal, almost as asking him to supply needs that they would have. And Nabal said to them, take a long walk off a short pier. The news got back to David. And David was that angry that he was about to go and do what David did very well. He slayed men. 
But on his way, Abigail showed up. And Abigail brought with her the supplies that David needed. And because of that, Abigail told David, do not put a black mark on your kingship. Leave my foolish husband alone. Let God take care of him. And in 1 Samuel 25, it says that 10 days later, Nabal died of a heart attack. And Abigail became a queen of David. Ladies, if you trust in the Lord, let God take care of your husband. You just adorn yourself with his grace and his peace and his mercy. And as long as he is not asking you to disobey the word of God, you just give to him respect. And let God change your husband. The second thing is this. A wife's trust in God and a wife's surrender to God. Because as we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, when we are speaking to the husbands that they are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says the wives are to subject themselves to their husbands as to the Lord. It's a surrender. It is realizing that living properly properly under God, you get yourself out of the way so God can deal with your husband. Surrender. And I want to leave with you the ending that we should have began with at the beginning. That there is freedom and surrender. And when we talk of surrender, and in reference to a prisoner or someone captured during war, you're either going to prison or a prisoner of war camp. And you wonder, what kind of freedom is that? Well, for most of us, surrender and freedom just don't go together. But if you look at the second part of 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 6, it says this, And you have become Sarah's children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. What fear is he talking about? The fear of a wife who says, I'm afraid to submit to my husband because I'm afraid he'll take advantage of me and use my submission to lord it over me. I'm going to hold on to part of the control so he won't run me over. The kind of reaction is very, very natural. It's scary for any of us to think about giving up control and surrendering our rights and our preferences to another person. 
but God's word of assurance for a wife who is willing to do these things says, you have nothing to be afraid of because I see your heart and I know where you are. You are in my sight and in my care. I can deal with your husband if you will align yourself with my will. When you think about it, Sarah was tucked away in a tent in the middle of a desolate land to which she had come with Abraham. She was married to a man who had his moments of weakness, even though he became a great man of faith. What's more, Sarah was too old to have any hope of having a child. And Abraham was even older and less capable of fathering child. But Sarah believed God. And she believed that God could bring a baby out of two aged bodies. God knew Sarah's heart. And she got her miracle. You may be saying, well, you got that right. It would take a miracle for my husband to become a spiritual leader. I understand that. But God says, don't be afraid. I see your heart. I know where you are. Trust me. If you desire to obey God by honoring your husband, you don't need to fear anyone or any situation. One author wrote it this way. Don't let any fear keep you from experiencing God's best in your marriage. Be faithful and patient Knowing that while you are trusting God for a change in your marriage, he will change you to live well within it. And until that time comes, wait for your miracle. Can we pray? God, your word sometimes is difficult to heed. For we're living in a time, we're living in a situation we're, we're living in. A place that fogs our eyes from seeing what could happen. But your word is true. And it reminds us that if we trust you and surrender to you, that you will create that which we can't even begin to imagine of how great it will be. I know we've spoken this morning, Lord, to wives, but it's also true of husbands. If we as husbands and wives would determine to align ourselves under the principles of who God is and that we would function according to his instructions, how that could transform our marriages and our families.
So God, I'm, I'm asking that by grace that you will give us the courage. You will give us the faith to take you at your word, to trust you and surrender to you as we would to Jesus Christ. And then wait for you to do that miracle that we figure no way can happen. But we'll leave that up to you. For you are great and greatly to be praised. Have your word, Lord, find good soil to plant itself in this morning. And may you, Lord, not only be the head of Christ, who is the head of man, who is the head of woman, but God, may you be the head of our homes and our church. And we'll praise you in your name. Amen.